Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' Series, a month-long event celebrating the authors and narrators that bring romance stories to life. Listen along as Viviana, Enchantress of Books, interviews your favorite writers and voices, share special guest posts, and stay tuned for some special information at the conclusion of the episode. Hi, everyone. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with guest narrator John Hartley. Welcome to Audiobook Lovin', John. How are you? I'm well, Viviana. Great to be here. And thank you for coming. I uh, You're new to me, but I've been listening to Kristen Ashley's The Rising series, which is how I was introduced to you. Um, so I'm totally excited to have you here. Thanks. Yeah, that was an epic series. I mean, four books, uh, many characters. I know a lot of those narrators as well personally, because often as a narrator, you just record your bits in a booth by yourself. But at Audible, which is the company that produced this, um, I saw a lot of the other narrators coming in and out of the booths, would have a chat, would discuss characterizations, the story, and we'd worked on other projects together. So Joe Nice, for example, um, a few of the other actors, I knew quite well, which is quite rare for audiobooks. Sometimes, so for example, uh, Kiwi Rules, which is another book that I've done, um, or a recent one, The Tempted, I have never met any of the actors I'm paired up with. Um, so the, the Rising was, was unusual in that respect that I actually knew these guys personally. So for those of us that may not know you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been narrating and how you became a narrator? Definitely. So I'm from the UK originally, as you can probably tell from London. And I moved to the US to study. So I went to a conservatory acting program in LA at USC. So I moved to LA and was there for three years studying and then stayed in LA for three years after graduation before coming to New York. But during that period that I was in LA, that's when I started recording audiobooks. Um, that was trying to come out of drama school and realize, how do I make money? What's the first thing I can do to actually make a living as an actor? I figured, what are my niches? What are my strengths? And I thought, well, reading is something I love to do and I'm good at. I have an English accent, which is quite marketable for voiceover stuff. Mm -hmm. And I can do a bunch of different regional accents from the rest of Great Britain, uh, Europe, etc. And I've got a distinctive voice. So I got in touch with a studio that produces audiobooks in LA called Dean Audio, who really are wonderful, took me under their took me under their wing and recorded a bunch of audiobooks there. And then when I moved to New York, they were so kind and put me in touch with a number of audiobook producers here in New York. So I was able to continue it. But recording audiobooks has basically been the mainstay of my career since leaving drama school. It's one of the greatest blessings I have as an actor. It's a really wonderful thing. I can imagine that, you know, being one day the tall, you know, alpha, and then the mm -hmm. next day being the funny guy next door is, uh, can be really fun. Of course, even second to second, if those two guys are in dialogue, um, just coming up with a story, you know, say it's set in a high school and you've got that blonde, tall jock and then the kind of nerdy, uh, you know, nerdy dude who's now helping him do something and they both learn from each other. Um, you know, you're constantly as an audiobook narrator switching back and forth between characters, between accents. And it's helped non-audiobook stuff as well, because when you're preparing for an audiobook, you really have to make choices really quickly. Say in an audiobook, you have 20 to 50 characters that, you're, that you, the narrator, will portray. It's very different to a role for film or for TV or for theater where it's just one guy and you have a lot of time to prepare that one guy. Whereas audiobooks, you have a few days to prepare the audiobook, then you're into recording it. So you've really got to figure out and create unique characters that have their own personalities, backstories, um, individuality really quickly. And that has also fed into my on-screen and on-stage work because you just have to commit to creating a character really quickly and not worry about, is it going to be fake? Is it going to sound silly? Just commit to it and do your work. And it usually ends up sounding really good. But you mentioned about prepping for a book. How do you, what is that process for you once you get cast for a, a novel? So let's say it's a solo novel where it's just me narrating by myself. It's not a multicast or it's not a dual cast. I'll get the book and my process has evolved over time. So what I do now is just read through it once and I'm making notes as I go along. One of the So there's two broad things that I pay attention to. Some are very technical. So for example, 
if there's a list, um, I'll highlight that list uh, using the app that I have on my iPad to make sure that those words are contained as a list. It's not one thing disjointed from the next, disjoint, disjointed from the next. Um, or if there's a complicated sentence that has some quite complex punctuation that when you're reading it silently in your head, you'll be able to interpret or at least go back and reread and interpret. But obviously as a narrator, you've got to read it straight first time. So I'll make sure that I can maybe draw a line here or there or highlight a certain section, underline another section. So reading ahead, I know which parts to emphasize, which parts to ease off of, which parts to drive towards. So some very technical stuff uh, as I'm going through and preparing. Then of course there's characterizations. So in the margin of the audiobook, I'll make notes, uh, abbreviated character names. So if there's a character called Charlotte, I'll just write in Shah. So I can see, ah, oh, Charlotte's coming up and I remember what Charlotte's voice sounds like. And then switching to Michael, I'll just do Mike. Um, so that I'm always reading let's say six to 10 words ahead of what I'm saying so that that can keep the flow going. I can remember what I'm aiming towards so that as I'm coming to the end of Charlotte's sentence, my eyes are already skipping towards the next chunk, which I now know is labeled Mike so that I can go straight from Charlotte's voice into Mike's voice. And then there's a nice continuous flow. So those are kind of technical stuff, characterization stuff, but I'm also really paying attention to the form of the novel, so how it's written, how the story progresses, where to change the speed of a section in order to build intensity, where to ease off after an intense passage, just to kind of take the listener on a journey. Because every book is a journey. Um, every character undergoes a journey. And maybe even the reader or the listener undergoes that journey with the book, with the characters. And so to help bring that to life and take the listener, take the reader on an interesting navigation from A to B so that they themselves experience some of what the character's undergoing is also a big goal of mine as well. So you can only do that having read the book from back to front to understand, all right, this is where the book is starting. This is where all the characters are starting in their lives. And this is where the book ends. And this is where each of those characters, the points that they've reached at the end of their particular journey. And if it's a series, then I'm also aware of what is coming next. What, how am I going to finish this book that then it can lead on nice and smoothly to the next installment? And you can get a sense that, yes, these characters have finished this particular arc of their lives, but they're also gearing up for the next stage. So a real sensitivity to the writer's craft, to how he or she has crafted these characters and their story. That's really, that's probably the most important thing to me. Another detail that you that as narrators you provide are the, how the characters are going to sound. How do you select that? Sometimes it's kind of commanded. Sometimes the author says, British accent from the south of England, and he is gruff, strong, masculine voice. And so you're like, all right, well, you know, I'm not going to be able to do someone from France who has a nice high voice. It's going to be from the south of England with a strong, gruff kind of voice. And I really think that when the author creates the character's voice that tells you a lot about what the author has intended for that character to be um, his or her own personality his or her own character so I'll make a list first of all on my iPad of as soon as a character pops up if there are certain directions from the author he needs to sound gruff or she needs to sound um, distant or whatever then I'll make notes alongside that character's name from anything from their region that they're from to the quality of their voice to the speed of their speech, something like that. If there's no specific guidance, either it's a minor character or a character that the author has pretty much left up for the reader to create in their own imagination, then I'll pay attention to the nature of that character's speech. Because obviously a lot of who we are is revealed in the way that we speak. So if a character speaks in long rambling sentences with complex imagery and long complicated words, 
then you can get a sense about what he or she thinks of the world, of other people, of themselves. And so that then will inform the way that I characterize their voice. Um, if the other person speaks in very short sentences, very brusque, maybe using some military language here and there, then you get a sense, all right, well, this character has had these sorts of life's experiences, or they want other people to think of them this way. And so that, again, influences the way that I create their character, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> but often, often, they, yeah, often they really guide you. The authors really guide you. And one of the most important things is just where they're from. So um, accents are a big thing for me. So if it says his thick Scottish brogue, then of course I'll be tapping into my thick Scottish brogue. And if he's from you know, the East End of London, then we'll go in that direction as well. Mm-hmm. Well, the listeners tend to be a really sucker for the accent and you already have one, you know, of <laughs> I get by birth. Is there a favorite accent that you have to perform? I really love the two accents that I love the most are a Northern Irish accent. So for example, do you watch, do you watch Peaky Blinders at all? I, I have started, I have not finished it, but yes, I do. <laughs> the main cop on it. I forget the actor who plays him but he's got this kind of strong Northern Irish accent and it just sounds as though this guy knows what he's talking about from beginning to end. You're going to be him. Come with me. And I just like the, the flow of it, the strength of it, the kind of directness of it. And I also like a South African accent. So for example, so on the right, well, I do voices for video games. So there's a game series called Uncharted and I recently did, voices for this uh, character South African in it and again I like this because you know it's such a distinct cultural thing that they have you know there's lots of Dutch influences there of course English and uh, these guys just have a strength have a passion have a have a rugby quality to the accent so yeah those accents Northern Irish uh, South African those are probably my two favorites for sure so on the flip side is there an accent that's like the hardest for you to perform the hardest accent there have been moments where i really like to do everything the very best that i can and so there are some accents where you're like oh okay so walloon you know some part of belgium and i'm like well uh i could spend six months practicing this walloonian accent from belgium or i could just kind of put it in a light french type of atmosphere and 99.9 percent of listeners will just go with that um so I don't know, has there anything that I've done recently that's really, really tough for me to do? The thing is, once you figure out three things, how the musculature of the mouth works, how the tongue works, how the lips work, how the cheeks, how breath work, and you can discern the music of a person's speech, and you learn just some basic things about where the placement comes from. So for example, the stereotypical German accent is really, it's kind of trapped back here in the throat. So, you know, they don't reveal that much. And, you know, if they want to go to the shops, they say, yeah, I'll have two coffees and that bagel, please. Um, whereas a French accent is much more forward on the lips. Like it's, it comes much forward. They're very expressive. And, um, you know, if you just emphasize with your lips much more, you can sound uh, much more in that French direction. So if you learn about placement where different cultures, different accents, different languages, where they tend to speak from, and the music with which they speak, and then how the mouth and the vocal structure works, then you can kind of break down accents that you're not yet familiar with and learn to do them yourself. How about the American accent? Have you done any books that require you to do the American accents? I have, not yet, but to be honest, what they do most of the time is they're, they'll be casting American actors for American roles. But as you can tell, I've got a great U.S. accent by now, so they should cast me in U.S. roles for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> thanks, thanks. I think that tends to freak people out because if it's a foreign accent that we haven't heard that much, we'll just go, oh, yeah, we'll go with it. But when it's your accent, mm-hmm. especially my friends who just – know me very well and know how I speak and connect how I speak with how I look uh, to then all of a sudden hear an American guy coming out of this British guy's face. I think they're a little bit weirded out. Yeah. But it's just acting. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, especially with the American accent, there's just so many of them. 
Um, depending if you're going, you know, northeast like Boston, and then you know, the New York and the Jersey, just and they're all next to each other. Viviana, that was the toughest thing for me when I first moved here. Mm-hmm. To be honest, apart from certain regions like Texas or you know the South or you know California surf guy or tough New York guy, apart from those specific regional accents. My naivety, I assumed that there was just one standard American accent and it couldn't be farther from the truth. So my roommates in school, one was from Colorado, one was from Northern California. The other one was from North Carolina, but had a very, very soft, but still kind of present Southern accent. So as I was trying to develop my quote unquote American accent, it was basically a hodgepodge of all these different accents that ended up sounding completely fake. And people were just like, where are you from? What are you, are you from outer space? Like, what is this accent? <laughs> um, so it used to bum me out because I couldn't really figure out what I needed to do. And then somebody said, you just need to find someone's accent, some single American person's accent and just base your accent on theirs. So I just looked up someone with a very neutral standard accent, Leonardo DiCaprio. And I thought, all right, let's just go with his vowel sounds, his speech, and then, gradually make it my own. So that's what I did. When it comes down to those, you know, Southern accents, like North Carolina or South Carolina versus Georgia or Texas, it's all, so the, the draw is a little different. I mean, they'll eat you alive if you say you're from Texas and, you know, <laughs> yes. you're playing a Texan and all of a sudden you sound a little bit more like Georgia, they get mad. Mm-hmm. They, uh, which is understandable. You know, if, if I, from London, Somebody said, yeah, you know, this is my London accent. And then they started suddenly sounding as though they're from Scotland. I would think, uh, well, no, that doesn't sound like you're from London at all. I always chuckle a little bit when I see the, the reviews and they always say something. I'm like, dude, they're trying. I know. <laughs> yeah, but it's where, if it's where you're from, you want where you're from to be really represented authentically. And if somebody hasn't maybe put much effort in or they just haven't pulled it off, or it just sounds really stereotypical or false, then yeah, I think people quite rightly get annoyed. Yeah, no, I, and I get that too. On the flip side, it's a really cool thing that you see on TV when a British actor has really nailed whatever specific regional American accent that they do. And then they open their mouth in a junket and then their voice is like, yes, I am from South London. And just, you know, I just like, you know, just picked up the accent. And then all of you is like, what the fuck, where's this yeah. guy from? <laughs> It's uncanny. It's weird. It is. Yeah. Or even sometimes when we're listening to you guys in the audiobook and then they listen to like an interview or when I'm talking to you guys, sometimes on the voice notes, I'm going, yeah, I, I, I you have like a different, it's almost like you, almost like sitting up straighter in the booth, mm, that voice kind of thing versus yeah. like when you're just like chilling, you're going, dude, really? You know? <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. I think that's true. I think when you're recording and you're reading, it's very different to just speaking off the cuff. Um, I think it's nice to try and blend it a little bit sometimes so that when you're reading, there is a sense of naturalness there. Of course, you're reading and it's not going to sound as though you're making it up on the spot. And I don't know if you'd want it to because it's a novel that you're reading and a novel is not written like regular day speech, but you don't want it to sound too formal or robotic or something. I think to find that middle ground is key. The, the other thing too when it comes down to audiobooks is now we've had these different options and the authors are doing things instead of just single narrator which we're kind of used to doing where it's just one of you guys telling us an entire story and it doesn't matter who the characters are and now they've done more dual and now they're doing also duets and also the multicast in duet style or dual style which is just I'm like wow there's need to come up with different ones it's really cool. I did my first duet narration the a uh, couple of months ago um, for a book called The Tempted, I believe. I think it's set in Scotland. And it was, I, I haven't heard it, but I think it could work really well because it's, it's much closer to acting, acting like you would on camera or on stage where we're not looking at each other. We're not in the booth or on stage actually directly having a, a scene but you are getting the other person's voice and so you can directly respond to the energy or the choices that they're giving you so it is closer to a a true conversation in that way so i'm really interested to hear how the the tempted turns out um in general for romance especially it tends to be dual cast so 
the chapters written from a woman's perspective will be read by a female narrator and vice versa for a man. Um, and those work really well as well because then you have them in conversation with each other, which I think is often close to life that in a book, it's often reflecting on something that's just happened or something you're about to do. And yeah, to have those moments of uh, an actor and through the character sharing an experience with you, the listener works really well. And then to switch back and forth from perspectives, I think that's really cool. And then rarely or not rarely, but less common uh, from, in my experience, solo um, narration for romance audiobooks. It tends to be much more, um, yeah, dual cast, which is great. It's, it's definitely getting more to be the, that, that style of dual. I started with just the one narrator and then got into books and I'm like, oh, there's two of you. Okay, good. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I'm going, oh, you guys are talking. And I think that um, my favorite of all of them is the duet because especially when the author writes a really good banter, Yes, exactly. And it's crucial to then have the energy feeding off each other. If It's totally possible for good actors to have a banter scene where I'm just recording my lines. That's how they do video games. You go into a booth and it's just in a conversation, you just record your lines and sometimes you'll just have to imagine the other person's lines or sometimes you'll have a director who's not an actor reading you the other person's lines. But they'll often read it in something like, so what did you get up to today? And what did you have for breakfast? And there's not a ton of energy for you to feed off and respond to. So, but as a good actor, you'll just use your imagination. But if you have the other person's audio coming into your headphones that you can then respond to, then it just becomes really playful and cool. Yeah, the energy is a little different. And I think also too, especially when they're in that moment and energy is high and they're a little talking over each other because I know you still can't do that because we want to know what the hell you guys are saying but still that in, that slight interruption or being right each, at each other I know that there have been great narrators but it's just nothing's better than when it's done to it <laughs> yeah when it's really live when it's really yeah, yeah an exchange mm -hmm. of energies it does um so you've been doing a lot of romance mm -hmm. as of late and romance is it's like I call it like an umbrella term and there's a lot of different subgenres underneath that umbrella. Is there a favorite subgenre that you like to perform? What a great question. I really like, I really love them all. Um, anything from something really contemporary that's set now to something in a completely imaginary fantasy world to something that's set in a historical period. I think if I were to have to choose one, I really like the historical stuff. Uh, where they go back to the Scottish Highlands or, you know, Rome or something like that. I think those are cool because it brings in different historical cultures and things for you to just look up as an actor and get to know and can shape your, uh, your interpretation of the character. I think, yeah, the historical romances are probably the ones that I enjoy the most, but I really love them all. And then in terms of subgenres, um, no, I think they're all, I just think they're, yeah, they're all, they're all really, really cool. I have a lot of respect for romance authors because first of all, they have to be prolific. They really have to get these books going. You know, they don't have five years to write the next one. They've got a week off and then yeah. they're starting the next installment of the series or a whole new series. So I really have a lot of respect for what they're able to do and still produce a really cool new novel. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's impressive what they what they come up with. It is, How about you? Yeah. Do you have a do you have a favorite genre? I think a lot of it has to do with the mood, but I tend to do a lot of rom coms, especially at the late. Yes. When the characters are really, you know, I kind of feel that I can relate usually to the heroine, especially the one that's a little awkward and geeky, <sighs> or stumbles when the cute guy is talking to them. Yes, I yes. That, I do that a lot. That's one of the things that audiobooks or romance audiobooks can just nail is that just that charm. Um, I don't I mean, you have it on TV rom-coms and film rom-coms, of course. But yeah, when it's done with an audiobook, it's slightly different. It's almost, it's almost, I wonder if we can place ourselves in the character's shoes much more. Because I think we're really co-creating the character as a listener. Um, versus, you know, you're watching Hugh Grant. You're like, well, yep, he's very charming. Um, but it's different when you're listening to someone and kind of imagining how they look as well. Um, maybe putting yourself in their shoes. 
Yeah, because even though they may have, you know, described the, in this case for me, like the heroine, that, that she's blonde and she's thin and trimmed and all this stuff. And I'm going, well, I'm not blonde or some or any of the other things. But after a while, just you can kind of like, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. Like, put yourself in that, you know, character and yeah. relate to them in other aspects. And it's just one of those where versus if I was seeing it, I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely not blonde. <laughs> I listen, I agree. And I think that's what I really aim to do as an audiobook narrator is to, of course, use my own imagination to create the character and really create this fully fleshed out human being. But I also aim to leave space for the listener to create their own, to do their half of the job. Um, so that fulfillment TV, at least in my experience, it's a little bit more of a passive experience watching a TV show or watching a film. You're just kind of watching this and receiving it. But I, for reading, straight reading then is very much an active thing where I, am, I have to use my imagination in order to create the book, in order to turn these words on a page into something real in my mind. And of course, I'm not reading when I'm listening to an audiobook, but I still think there is that element of me taking this character and filling in the rest of him, the way he looks, the way he moves. I can, as a narrator, describe that to you, but I think it's you, the listener, who creates the rest of it, you know, really brings it to life. And that's what I am to do as a as an audiobook narrator is to just leave space for the listeners to do their part of the creative process. Yeah, we can get pretty creative. <laughs> <laughs> Viviana, I bet. <laughs> well, again, the author is providing us with this information. So it's their Yeah, fault. yeah, yeah. Definitely. That's awesome. So is there a, a genre yet that you have not narrated that you really want to? Um, in terms of romance... No, I've done quite a few. You know, I've done, you know, male, male. I've done male, female. I've never done female, female. They would probably use a woman for that or yes. two women for that. <laughs> um, what, in terms of broader stuff, in terms of kind of non-romance, um, I've done quite a range, everything from history to science fiction to literary fiction. There's, I can't think if there's anything, you know, some of the best stuff out there is young adult. Um, they really, some of the stories they create, some of the characters they create are really, really awesome. Um, but no, in terms of romance stuff, I haven't really come across a genre. No, because it's ranged from everything from just lighthearted banter to then pretty deep adventure to then, you know, something pretty, you know, niche. So I did a BDSM audiobook not too long ago. That honestly was for me a bit of an education. I loved it. I mean, I was sitting there in a coffee shop with, you know, the internet open in one hand and then the audiobook in the other, just looking up all these things. And that was, that's awesome. As an actor to be able to discover worlds that aren't something that I directly experience every day um, mm. is a real thrill, is a really awesome experience. Um, and that was one of the first, that was actually one of the first romance audiobooks that I did. It was called For Real and set in, uh, it was a dual cast as well, two guys through Audible as well. Yeah, check it out. Besides, obviously, the, the great stories and the narrators that are phenomenal, is the ability to discover something new, whether it's um, like Lauren Blakely wrote a story that was set in Paris. And I, while I love the croissants and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and things like that, I've never really said, hmm, it's on my list of places to go. Um, but after reading her book, I'm like, I want to go see that red door. It's in this plaza or whatever. And it's the ability to, I didn't know I wanted to go to Paris. But at the same time, as you were mentioning the thing with BDSM or other things that are discussed in romance that we can just figure out. I'm like, hey, I might be curious about this. 100%. It's almost a, um, almost a permission, do you know what I mean? To, to kind of investigate something that you might have not wanted to investigate or someone might have been embarrassed about or someone just culturally might have shied away from. But audiobooks are really safe and, you know, supportive space to really discover a world that you're somewhat intrigued about. Um, you know, it's not like diving in head first and then, all right, well, this is because, you know, it might work for you. It might not work for you, but audiobooks are the ideal way to explore something you're curious about, or just even discover something that you have no idea about. Uh, whether it's a different culture, a different time period, a different country or a different, um, you know, uh, cultural subgenre. 
they're uh i think it's a great way to explore and discover new things to exercise one's curiosity 100 percent. even within even with genres there's been times where i'm not one to listen like sci-fi sometimes it's not really my thing sure um but because one of you all is narrating it um i'm like okay <laughs> so, <laughs> like, let's give this a try yeah that's where it's i always say that it's important for the authors to really work with the narrators when it comes down to marketing and promoting because you guys have your own followings and i have picked up books that i would have never picked up because of new to me author or or like i said a sci-fi but i've listened and i've picked it up because of who's narrating it isn't that one of the best things about some of these audio book platforms like Audible is the fact that they recommend stuff to you. So they know what you like and they can also figure out, well, look, I know you like this audiobook narrator. What about this audiobook? And like you said, you would have just scrolled straight past the front cover or this author who you've never come across or the fact that it doesn't have many reviews yet. And yet because you like the narrator, you'll be able to go with it. It's uh yeah, it's really cool. Does that happen often? Are you kind of liking a specific narrator and then you'll just see, oh, what else have they been doing? Oh, yeah. I would totally Google, mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. and yep, go yep. over to Audible and, and check it out. And I also, because while social media can be not everybody's favorite, um, there's always pros and cons to everything. One of the, the pros that I see about social media is the ability to connect with others that have the same interest as I. And I've, you know, we build this community of listeners on like Twitter, for an example, just be, you know, they'll tag me on something because they think I'll like it because I had said that I like this other book. I know sometimes the narrators will tag me saying, Hey, this is the next one that I'm you know, doing. I'm like, okay, cool. Yay. So it's just that whole ability to connect. And again, the community that is, that is being built based on the listeners. It's really awesome and supportive. That's really cool. I love that everyone's so involved with it. Well, I'll be keeping an eye out from the Facebook page of John Hartley. Not there yet. Let's get on it, guys. Well, here's the thing. You guys kind of have to start it. Oh, fair enough. Then that's you know, my job after this. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, I'm all for sharing when you guys are out there, but you all have to start it. Otherwise, it becomes a fan for, you know, it's like a fan page for John Hartley of versus course. John Hartley doing it. And then, of yeah, course, yeah, we'll yeah. start tagging in. Because I was, you know, one of the things I wanted to discuss with you was like the, the writing series. Yes. And that's how I discovered you. And some of the things as I'm listening, I would, like I do with other things, do a tweet or put it on Facebook and I would tag the, the, the narrator so they can see how much I adore them. I'm not able to do that with some of you because you guys don't have any social media, so you become a hashtag. So you could oh, look yeah. to see you know, your, your name as a hashtag to see what's been you know, out there and stuff like that. But That's my new, as soon as I'm done, I'm creating a John Hartley Insta, a John Hartley Twitter. Perfect. Actually, no, you're absolutely right it's crucial to have that social media presence just because it creates much more opportunity to engage and get a sense of what people like and, um, and then make sure that your new works are shared with people who might want to listen to them. Absolutely. Right. I know too, from a listener's perspective, you know, discovering, like I, like I had mentioned, um, new narrators and stuff like that, but even for the authors, it's important because they can, yeah, they can reach out to you and they can ask you for an audition tape, or if you have something already on the website, they can listen to it but to be able to kind of hear what the listeners are saying about you as a narrator is yeah. a lot and it's very important. So it's something too that I recommend is from a narrative perspective is to have something out there available for us to not only show you our love for you guys and how awesome you guys are, but there's sometimes too where it's, it's important for the, the author to kind of be able to see how, you know, what you bring to the table, for example, Definitely. besides oh, an awesome voice, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, thanks. yeah. So maybe it was um, a good thing that you didn't have social media while I was listening to the first two and a half books of that. <laughs> <amazing. right>. Well, <laughs> it'll be like, ping, ping, ping. <laughs> it'll be, it'll be there now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that series for those that are listening and may not know what the heck I'm talking about. It's Kristen Ashley's The Rising is the name of the series. And it's a four books and it's, they're all available and they do have cliffhangers, but again, these are four books and you can get them all at one time. So it's no issue from that perspective. And they're also available on the um, Audible Escape program. So again, totally worth the credits, but if you have this program, go ahead and grab it. The Rising is a, a spin-off series from the Fantasyland series that she did a few years ago. How did they approach you to be one of the, not one, some of the characters? 
I remember the guys at Audible first approached me about True, uh, which is, so there are four different, not countries, but regions within this world. And I'm trying to remember Eren. Eren is this one region that King True is uh, the king of, although he starts off as Prince True. Exactly. Um, and then, so they originally wanted me to do that because True is supposed to have just a regular English accent that is my, my English accent. So um, they'll often try and cast actors who have that specific accent. Um, but they couldn't find someone to do Cassius, who's one of the other lead characters. And I forget which region he was from, but he had a much more Scottish flair to his accent. And I think Kristen Ashley, she sent out a breakdown of the regions and the accents she wanted associated with those with those regions. Uh, so I think, yeah, there were a few, I can't remember the, yeah, it's, it was a while back. Um, but they couldn't find someone to do Cassius because she also wanted someone who's gruff and kind of militaristic and with a deeper voice. So, I think it was actually me. I said, I'm willing to do Cassius as well. Because I saw on the breakdown that they hadn't yet. It said TBD or TBA for Cassius. So I just messaged the guys and says, in addition to True, I'd love to do Cassius. Because they're very different characters. Yes. Um, True is very peaceful, romantic. Um, whereas Cassius is much more gruff. He's had a really brutal childhood. A heart of gold, but a lot of calluses around that heart. And uh, he has to, his journey is to kind of learn to trust and undo some of that hurt and, um, and fill his heart with love instead of anger. Uh, whereas true is just kind of a, a heartthrob from beginning to end. Um, yeah, <laughs> the typical Prince Charming. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> what Kristen actually did in the series for the four different regions, she actually picked four different regions that we know, like you were saying, English, Scottish. I think there's also some you know italian. Eastern, Ita definitely italian yeah um and they also did some that i wanted to maybe from india or that area and i just love it because it was i can it's familiar but not at the same time oh that's one of the best things about a fantasy genre like game of thrones i felt there was a lot of game of thrones in yes. this where yes. you have specific regions that we're exactly we are familiar with which allows us to be grounded from day one we're not figuring out wait what i don't understand you know what is happening here we have a sense of familiarity from the get-go but it's different as well um the politics are going to be different the government the way people interact with each other some of the laws um and that's and then we're able to focus on that as well as the characters and the way they interact with each other but this book was so interesting because i think a lot of romance novels that i've narrated obviously are really focused on the romance first and foremost you know the the couple falling in love um etc etc this one obviously that was very key to the story but i think it also really focused a lot on what else was happening in the world some of the political uh intrigue that was taking place some of the the dark you know the rising refers to a dark force that is rising so what's all that about um, the kind of the subversive elements from each of those four regions, how they're working together to support this dark rising. So the romance, of course, was key and is really, really superbly well written. But also it's just a really cool, again, Game of Thrones type fantasy audiobook where there's a lot going on uh, in addition to the romance. It's not just a vehicle for romance. It's, it's really, really cool. Um, it also focused a lot on relationships that we don't get to see in normal romance. You see the, the relationship between um, the friends, the friendships, and the, the guards with Cassius, for an example, the trust that True has to, with his guys. And it's just one of those things that that's part of what's being developed as we're, as we're kind of being guided through the series versus in traditional, we kind of just get the, the couple with a popping in of the best friend. Oh, yeah. so true. So true. And because it's a four book series as well, and the stories, it's not procedural. You know, it's not like this book is about this and then the story ends. And now book two is about this bit and then that ends. And each, the, there's an overarching story of this rising. And from book one, the beginning of book one to the end of book four, that arc is continuous. Of course, there are little moments and 
different stories within that uh, within each book. But because it's long and we have this sense of a trajectory, we really get a, you're absolutely right. We get a sense of each character's relationships with themselves, with their, with their partner, and then with their friends, with their parents, really evolving. So I think you really right. You really do get a deep sense of each character, who they are and who they become. It's unusual in that way. It's cool. And I also love that we are getting that romance as a whole throughout kind of sprinkled on different things. And I'm not just reading the book one is about, you know, this couple and book two is about this couple. I like that interaction and that mingling that they, that Kristen did that I get a little bit of all of them at the same time or Definitely. a little bit. Of, yeah. So that was really good. Their relationships each. So there are four main couples from each of those main four regions and their relationships all evolve in completely different ways at different speeds, different natures. And that's so true to life. You know, you have four different couples in real life. Their relationships are going to be completely different from each other. And the book is exactly like that. There's not a single formula of, all right, well, this happens. And then obviously next thing's going to happen soon. And then blah, blah, blah. Um, each, each relationship evolves in a really organic and unique way. Um, and that's, yeah, it's really well put together. It was. The other thing too, it's, it's almost, I want to say it's, it's like dual narration because you as, when Cassius gets his own chapter, True gets his own chapter, King Mars, but you're also, when that happens, when they're on the room, you have to portray all these different accents and all these different people. Did you connect with the, um, the other actors to kind of say, what are you doing with, you know, with the King Mars? Yeah, definitely. That was actually a pretty big undertaking because you have to have consistency. If you don't have consistency, then it just is the most irritating thing I imagine for a listener to be like, who am I listening to now? And yep. King True doesn't sound anything like I heard him a chapter ago. Um, I can absolutely see how that, and just confusing. And while you're trying to focus on the story, you're also trying to figure out who's speaking, what's happening, where am I? It's not ideal. So Audible know that. And they really made sure that we each of us as the actors were able to get together and exchange audio samples. So we'd each create whatever, a 30 second clip of ourselves speaking with different emotional ranges, perhaps, then put it on a central database that we could then each of us access to think, all right, this is how exactly King Aramis, this is how Aramis should sound. So I get a sense when I'm preparing, remember he has to be this quality, slightly deeper with this type of accent. And then while you're narrating as well, you might forget because you haven't done King Aramis for a few days. You might need a bit of a refresher so you can just go straight back to that uh, database, click on his thing, the engineer will play it back to you. And then you can just go straight into his accent from there or his, his, his characterization. But there were a lot, and especially, as you say, with all the minor characters, to make sure that Jelen is a minor character for me. He doesn't appear a lot but he's really key. And so to make sure that the other actors, if they had to do him as well, knew his vocal tone, his accent, his mannerisms, so that again, his character comes through because he's a really sinister guy. And if in one chapter, he's very sinister and conniving and manipulative, but the next one, he's just kind of not, then you're going to lose a sense of the story, I think, or what this guy's about. So then when he comes back and okay, he sounds sinister and conniving again, then it can be a bit jarring. So I think Audible picked really experienced actors for this, really experienced narrators for this, because they knew there would be a lot of jumping back and forth between dialects, between characterizations, between, uh, between speech. Um, so yeah, I think they really did a really thorough job of making sure each of us was able to be fully prepared on our own. Because it's not just like you did just one or two. You had six. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And on top of that, all the other act all the other characters that the other actors had created. So the difference at some point I had to do each of the so I did King so there are how many? Eight main characters, as you say, yeah. Um I did King True and King Cassius. But there's so much that I had to do of the other six, uh, done by six different actors. Um, so to be able to juggle those back and forth, it was an undertaking, but it's also pretty thrilling because you really get to collaborate with others and, and share your work. I know that you had a lot of scenes with um, where you're narrating both Cassius and Prince True. 
Mm. Um, I did not really hear that it was the same narrator doing the two voices. Thanks, Viviana. That's a big compliment. Yeah, until I got the list from Kristen. And I even asked her, I'm like, I think you've made a mistake. This one says that, you know, John's doing both, Cassius and True. And she's like, no, he did. I'm like, damn. Because it was so different. True is very calm and quiet, like you were saying. And he he has this rhythm. Don't piss him off, though, because he will get mad. Yes. And you don't want that. But Cassius is rough and up in your face and tells, you know, you to go fuck off. Yes. Absolutely. It's just, wow. I was just so impressed. But at the same time, I was like, oh, I love Cassius. Oh, I love True. I'm like, oh, that's right, because it's the same guy. Oh, that's really that's really heartwarming to hear. Thanks. I loved it. It's a really new opportunity for me to create two very distinct but central characters in a multicast novel. Um, yeah. She created great characters as well that were really fairly straightforward to make distinct. You know, they were two, their personalities are completely different. Their vocal tones are, are different. So I'm able to bring my skills um, through voice, but she also creates these unique, distinct characters in the first place. So uh, a lot of it's down to Chris and Ashley herself, who's amazing. She does very strong, smart heroines that don't need the guy to yes, come rescuing, absolutely. which I love. It's almost in reverse for a lot of the time. So King Cassius is this really strong, bold, you know, alpha leader who no one messes with. But he's also kind of screwed up and really has a tough time just living, just being, constantly questioning himself, unable to really behave in a way that is his best self. Uh, and, and he needs someone to come along and really learn to trust. Um, so it's, it's almost like he gets rescued himself. You know, same with true as well. But I think that's probably the nature of a great relationship anyway, is that it's a balance of uh, two people supporting each other and bringing out the best of each other. And being there for when the other person needs them to, yes. to yeah. tell you that you're being an ass. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Elena was a, the character of Elena, which is, you know, paired up with Cassius, was so fun because she is also um, comes from a very independent women tribe, yes. you know, to say. And again, strong and true, typical Kristen Ashley, you know, a heroine. And, and then when I was hearing the pairing, I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. Fireworks, <laughs> yeah. right? Because she's so strong and assertive herself. No one is going to tell her what to do or tell her to do something she doesn't want to do, nor should anyone. But the moment you mess with her, I mean, it's going to be lights out for you. So it's a really great pairing for her. And Cassius, yeah, what a great pairing. Because um, <laughs> it was a while since I narrated this. Mm-hmm. And I'm just reliving it. Yes, I remember those moments. <laughs> and uh, they work so well. They just stand up to each other, stand up for each other, and really learn a huge amount from each other. But again, this is part of Kristen obviously telling and sharing the story, and then you guys performing them. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm still I'm in book three, closer to the end, but I'm still playing catch up on that one. They're long, but they're so worth it. They're so worth it. So yeah. I'm so happy that I got to listen to it and discover um, you, you as well as one or two other narrators that I was like, I, I did not know you were out there. She's, she's so prolific, Chris Nashley, as well. She's able just to create so many novels that are all hits. I mean, the amount of success she has with, with what she's doing is incredible. And the fact that it then gets recorded into audiobooks is, is really, really cool as well. This series as well as some of the other ones that you've done and different dialects. Do you know any other languages? I do, actually. I speak Russian and I speak French as well. Russian is hard. Russian was way harder than I thought it would be. French is, French is much, much simpler. It's still, it's still tricky, mm-hmm. but Russian is another level altogether. I sometimes wonder if Russians just designed the language to be extra hard <laughs> so no one could learn it. No one it's, will learn this. No, it's our language. No one's going to learn it. But it's they, the amount of irregularity in it. It's, uh, you know, you change one thing about a sentence and then the entire rest of the sentence changes. Um, whereas in English, you know, it's, it's difficult to learn. It's, what I've heard about English is that it's easy to get a grounding in, but almost impossible to master. But Russian is hard to learn and then impossible to master i don't know maybe i'll get there hopefully i'll get there but even french is, is it, it doesn't sound like it would be difficult but it is i had um i'm 
helping prep a book and there's some French lines. And so we get the, someone to do the lines for us so we can share it to the narrators. And so I'm like, I'm going to learn a little French. Yeah, no, that didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what did you say? Yeah, a lot of vowels and stuff like that. It's uh, But again, it's just something that can be fun. Definitely. And then French people as well, in the same way the Russians just created an impossible to learn language. French people love speaking so quickly and so using so much slang and so much, uh, you know, complex sentence structure. I think, again, to keep people out to, you know, this is our language. You can't learn our language. It's for us. Go away. (laughs) Uh, Whereas English, we're just like, come learn. Here's some TV shows. Enjoy. When you're not narrating, what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? So I'm sure you know this as well, but when you really care about what you do for a living, it's very easy to do a lot of it so that you don't even have much spare time. You know, it's not the best approach because it's really important to do stuff that has nothing to do with your career because then you're just living work the entire time. No matter how much you enjoy work, it's important to have a break. So that said, I don't have a huge amount of time outside of what I'm doing to, to have fun. What do I do? I was learning to flamenco dance recently which is amazing. And uh, wow, so much of what I do is in my head, you know, reading, doing business stuff, prepping for auditions. But flamenco dancing was just purely in my body, really fun. And the music's insane. The music's just extraordinary. Again, it's also a tricky thing to learn, but uh, really, really enjoyed it. And then time just disappeared. And then now, of course, it's just social distancing. So there's no classes at all. But yeah. I really love that. I play, do you know Dungeons and Dragons? Yes. I've I play Dungeons and Dragons, d and <laughs> uh, Again, I don't have a huge amount of time to commit to a regular game. But when I do, I love it. I really, really, really love it. Uh, it's, again, just a way to exercise and have fun with one's imagination without, without anything being at stake. You know, when I'm prepping for an audition or something, of course it's my imagination, but I really want this job. Whereas for Dungeons and Dragons, well, my dude died. Okay, well, I create another one. And then, life. yeah, exactly. <laughs> the other, the kind of highlight of my week is I, because I do a lot of on-camera stuff as well. I stay in shape and go to the gym, eat well. But then one meal a week, I have what you call a cheat meal. And that is basically the highlight of my week. And uh, I get a great amount of joy out of that. Sitting down with a movie and just... Uh, devouring some pizza That's my yeah i was gonna ask you like what is your your go-to cheat meal oh my god well it's i'm a man of consistency so pizza only pizza from the place across my across the street from me i love i'm sh- i don't know if you like chocolate but chocolate mm-hmm. varies from country to country yes it does quite significantly so and i love i grew up with and i love british chocolate it's not fancy you know belgian or swiss chocolate it's just standard cadbury's uk chocolate but I just uh, put it in the freezer, take it out, and just eat it slowly. What else? Maybe some ice cream, some Haagen-Dazs, rum and raisin. Yeah, I'm getting hungry right now. It's only Sorry. Thursday. <laughs> Come on Saturday. Come along. In New York, you know, they're known for their pizza. And I am a pizza head. I like mine with pepperoni, but I do cheese just plain like that too. And I, the times that I've been, I've been to New York once, but I've been to like Connecticut a lot. And mm. it's just one of those where I'm like, I want pizza. <laughs> oh my god there because it's like so good it's the water that they use absolutely uh, but you can also just customize it to however you want so because each restaurant does it slightly differently their yes. marinara sauce is slightly differently mm-hmm. the kind of combination of cheeses that they use is slightly different where they source their pepperoni or their jalapenos or whatever wherever they, it's different the way they cook the pizza bread is different yeah. it's slightly thicker slightly crustier slightly thinner I mean, it's, yeah, so. So many options. I love it. So many options. And so you, it's like a mission to find what your pizzeria is. And then when you found it, you can tell everyone, this is the best. This is the best pizza in New York. When I went there, I found a good bagel place. And yeah. um, um, that was around the hotel that I was staying. And, and then a pizza place too that I found because I had to. And then in can, I ask, can I ask which one? The, I was, um, it's been a few years. I was 19. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was a girl of 19 going on a school field trip with only $50 in my pocket oh for my an gosh. entire week of New York. 
<laughs> wow. So that pizza, those slices came in handy. Those bagels did too. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's like, eating like a real New Yorker. Yeah. No, like good. the Starbucks, I'll get McDonald's. McDonald's is like a dollar or something and they're happy meals. No big deal. And then I'm like, did not know about um, specific states having different price ranges for things. Oh, forget so, uh, that. New yeah. <laughs> yep. But yeah, it's a learning experience. I love that trip. I, you know, I remember it very fondly. Um, yeah. Well, next time you come here, there's a great place near where I live called Artichoke Pizza. And their speciality is Artichoke Pizza. But they also do pepperoni and sausage and just regular cheese. It's pretty incredible. Um, they've got a, uh, there's so many. Joe's, John's, <laughs> all the good ones. You guys are used to working from home. Yes, yes, exactly. Because you have a home studio or do you have to go to a, a studio? I recently built my home studio. So it just got finished last week. Perfect timing for this interview. Yeah, it's normally because my, my apartment is so, so small, um, as most New York apartments are. And there are so many studios in New York, all dotted around, um, you know, Audible's out in New Jersey, but it's really, really quick to get there. Um, I just never needed to have a home studio. But now all film, TV, theater stuff has stopped, but voiceover and audiobook stuff is really still going. So you have to have a home studio in order to book and record any work. So I talked to one of my friends who's a, an audiobook producer. He gave me, a, gave me a breakdown of what I needed to get, all the programs, all the hardware, and then he helped me set it all up. So as of this week, I'm good to go. And I'll That's be recording awesome. from home starting next week. I think it's definitely become a necessity. But it's yeah. also a pro because, you know, sometimes the studios are busy or they're overbooked or the author, there's additional fees. So they're like, no, nah, if you have to go to a studio, I can't because you have to pay for the fees. So yeah. that helps out. Definitely. So towards the end of our chats, I love to play a game with mm -hmm. my guests. So if you're yeah. up for it. Absolutely. Okay. It's a, would you rather? I okay. make you choose between two things. All right. Would you rather always be 10 minutes late or 20 minutes early? That's the easiest question I'll probably ever be asked. Early, 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 early. I would, I would literally rather be two hours early than 10 minutes late. I'd rather be two hours early than two minutes late. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't stand being late. Like really, it's, it's uh, I don't know if it's a British thing or the thing is as an actor to be, so many actors are late. And if you're on time, it looks really, really good. It's a probably a combination of being a, being a good actor and being British, but um, being late, it's, I just get so bummed out. So yeah, definitely 20 minutes early. Would you rather know the history of every object you touch or be able to talk to animals? Talk to animals, 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think when I would want the history of the objects. I mean, it would be cool. I bet you could learn some really interesting stories about, say, just a penny, you know, just a copper penny, just who held that in their hands, um, where they were, when they were using it, what they were using it for. I bet you could actually get some really interesting stories there. But yeah, talk to animals. I mean, what a, that's like, that's amazing. That would be, tell the cockroaches to go away. <laughs> <laughs> tell the uh tell your dog to come whenever you want him to come mm -hmm. yeah, yeah no need for you barking let's go <laughs> yes exactly exactly would you rather never have to clean a bathroom again or never to have to do dishes again bathroom i would never want to have to do bathroom there's something a little bit therapeutic about uh washing dishes I find, you know, you just, you're just, not the you only have... one. The majority of the people I speak to say the same thing. Yeah. I think you've got this stack of dishes. You've got 10 minutes problem at the beginning solution at the end. There's so the older we get, I think it's hard to have something completely resolved and ended, but like washing dishes is something you can just like complete to perfection. Um, whereas washing a bathroom, yeah, that's cleaning bathroom is not my thing. The, the, the harder question would be cleaning a bathroom versus never doing laundry again. Cause I really, really loathe doing laundry. Um, I think, and for that one, I would say I would rather clean bathrooms than do laundry. Wow. I know. Isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel you. Um, in my younger days, I used to have to go downstairs to do the laundry in the machine and hope that no one would take my clothes off 
while it was still being washed to put theirs in. Oh my God. Yeah. Isn't that the rudest thing when they just dump your damp stuff on the yeah. table there? Exactly. And I'm like, who the fuck? You know? know? And then of course I'm like young and my mom's like, don't say those words. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Would you rather control water or control fire? Water or control fire. Wow. Let's say control fire. The thing is, if you controlled water, then you would never be thirsty. So if you were stranded somewhere, then you could just channel water out of the ground, which would keep you alive. And also, if you were in the middle of nowhere and it's freezing cold outside, you could have all the water you want. But if you don't have a fire to keep you warm, <laughs> decisions, you, know, you won't be able to stay alive. Mm, I think let's say fire. Let's okay. say control fire. Yeah. Okay. Would you rather always be hot or always be cold? Cold, 100%, 1 trillion percent. Again, probably because I've grown up in the UK. I can totally tolerate cold. First of all, you can just put on more clothes. Mm -hmm. But if it's too hot, you can't take off more. Like you can't, there's a certain amount of clothes you can take off. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're still going to be hot. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Because New York has a little bit of both extremes. In the winter, it gets really, really cold. And then probably not as bad as Florida, but in the summer, it gets unbelievably humid. And I, and I, that, I can't stand that. It's like somebody, it's like God accidentally left the oven on. And you just go in and it's just blazing. And within two seconds, I'm dripping in sweat. I've got to walk all these blocks. And then I've got to go and turn up and meet someone. And my shirt is just like sticking to me. It's the worst thing. Whereas if it's cold, you just bundle up. And actually being cold energizes me. Whereas I wilt in too much heat. Um, so, but I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people move to LA for that specific reason because they can't stand the cold, especially if they've grown up in a hot place like Florida or Puerto Rico or something. They almost have a phobia about the cold and they'll take five <laughs> showers a day. To, uh, one of my friends said, you know, I just got to get the chill out as though cold was inside his marrow or something. So, oh, he, had wow. so he quickly moved to LA. Oh, but no, I, I actually like the cold. Yeah, I'm a, a native Floridian, been here my entire life, born and yes. raised. And oh my God, I would much rather deal with the cold. Because like you said, and that's something I always say, I can always put something on. I can't take everything off. <laughs> I know, get in trouble. <laughs> exactly. It's frowned upon in some places. Um, <laughs> no, definitely. I, be, I mean, I think Florida has it a little bit worse than New York, but still oh, yeah. compared to the UK, I mean, the humidity is what gets me. Mm -hmm, they say sure. it's good for your skin though. That's what they say. It's okay. They have cream for that too. <laughs> True. Last one. Would you rather have a personal chef or a personal masseuse? I would have great question. Cause I don't have either. And I really want both <laughs> chef. I'm gonna have to go with chef. Cause I would use the chef multiple times every day. I would benefit from having a personal chef. Whereas I wouldn't have a massage every day. Things I work out a lot and having a deep tissue massage is really, really healthy and good for you. Um, even if it's not super enjoyable while you're having it done, it's like a sports massage, but uh, yeah, I would just get, do you know, Viviana, how much, va how much I would love a personal chef? Got each of these questions. I would love to have a personal chef. I would love it to be always cold. I would love to be always early. Gosh, this is like my dream life. Yeah, well, it's just also about who you you know surround yourself with. I always say, uh, I tell the narrators when they're like, "Oh yeah, just life has been busy and I haven't been able to narrate," or the authors, and I'm like, "I'll go cook for you," and that's the, that's when they remember that yeah, I actually am a personal chef. Are you really? Yeah, I have my degree oh my in culinary God. arts. And is there any chance you'll be moving to New York? No, but when I visit. <laughs> oh my gosh, we'll have a feast. Yeah, I'm definitely planning on visiting once all this craziness is over. There are so many narrators here. We'd have a reunion. Yes, exactly. That's exactly literally why I would be like, oh, be like, cool. oh you're going to go see the sightseeing. You're going to do this. I'm going to go, I'm going to go hang out in Emma's apartment. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> then I'm going to go get pizza with John. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Because it's his cheat day. I saved it for him. Oh, my God. Beautiful. That's a really good thing to be able to cook for yourself and cook mm -hmm. stuff that you enjoy eating. That's I basically eat the same thing every day. <laughs> um, but no, to be able to be invented with cooking, that's it, awesome. It can be fun. Sometimes it's one of those where like, I, can I just have a bologna and cheese sandwich? But I'm <laughs>
go into. But yeah, it's soothing. I like it. So yeah, yeah. when I go to New York, I'll do an entire thing. And oh, then the amazing. next day we can go get a pizza. Um, so I'm in. <laughs> awesome. I'm in. So before we go, um, why don't you share what you're working on next if you can? Of course, of course. So there'll be some more audiobooks for uh, the Tempted series, which is the one set in the Scottish Highlands. And it's semi-mystical. There's some magical elements to it as well. It's not a straight kind of fantasy like Game of Thrones book, but there are elements of magic. But the Tempted is really cool. And that's a duet narration as well. Um, and, the, and the other actor is... is is really awesome as well, um, Zoe Watkins. Uh, so that'll be, we've got another installment of that coming up. Um, I think my most recent audiobooks for the romance have all been released, um, but there's another series that I do for the author Cooper Davis, and she's got a series called Noble Pleasures, and I've done two of them so far, and I think it's a three-book series, so I will hopefully be doing the third one in Audible very soon and there tends to be a really quick turnaround so we crack those out and then they get released pretty soon but yeah something set in the scottish highlands and then another one again it's not it doesn't have the magic and stuff like that but the noble pleasures is set in a kind of um a kind of game of thrones type world but without the insane conflict and murder and magic <laughs> and dragons uh, but it's still really really cool and it's a beautiful relationship between a king and then his male concubine. It's a really interesting, complex, beautiful relationship um, in that series. Well, we'll be um, definitely keeping an eye out for when they come out. And since you're going to be getting all the social media stuff, we'll make sure to share and tag when you get it. Uh, 100%. <laughs> definitely. Well, thank you, John, for being my guest for this year's Audiobook Loving series. This was such a pleasure, Viviana. Really, I'm so, this is a great thing that you've created. And I really enjoyed being part of this. Yeah, wonderful thing. Thank you so much. Until next time, happy listenings. Thank you for joining us in the Audiobook Lovin' series, hosted by Viviana, Enchantress of Books. We hope you have enjoyed this episode, as well as the series. We've included audio samples of our guests' work within the post for you to check out. Please make sure to visit the main page, link within the post, to learn more about the series, the authors, and the narrators. Please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to the series if you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to follow us on our social media platforms and subscribe to the Viviana Enchantress of Books newsletter. Until next time, happy listening. Audiobook Lovin' hopes you've enjoyed this program.